0: Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. Work. You
0: really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow, wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. ES Audio.
2: From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader.
1: We will do what is necessary for as long as necessary to tackle inflation persistence and bring it back to the 2% target.
2: But it's not just inflation. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's got in his sights. He's claiming that earners on average salaries will be over a £1,000 better off every year in their retirement. But how? In his first Mansion House speech, Hunt set out plans to reform the private pension industry as part of a series of measures he reckons could bring in up to seventy-five billion pounds. It came as unemployment and wage growth both unexpectedly rose on Tuesday, which was revealed in data that's likely to stoke further fears of stagflation. Meanwhile, in more gathering storm clouds, two-year mortgage rates hit a fifteen-year high: six point six six percent. Reaching the peak hit in the wake of last year's disastrous Trust Kuateng mini-budget. And Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey was bullish in his speech at the annual City Gala Dinner, reporting that inflation is set to fall markedly over the remainder of the year. But is it? And can we all expect some extra in our pension pots? Or is it all pre-election smoke and mirrors? To find out more, the Leader Podcast is joined by Alfie Sterling, Chief Economist and Associate Director at the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. Alfie, what did you make of Jeremy Hunt's Manchin House speech?
0: I think it was similar, actually, in terms of a lot of the tones and tenors that he's hit in recent months. I mean, clearly, government is in a slightly less confident mood than it was. If you remember back to um, Jeremy Hunt's quite famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, uh, video explainer on inflation where he used the example of um, a cafe and coffee to really kind of drill home the message on inflation. And of course, at that point, everyone almost ridiculed it by saying, well, actually, inflation isn't under government control. They delegated the Bank of England and what they set themselves a target that everyone thinks they'll easily meet anyway. Whereas now, of course, government's got the problem of both putting its colours to the mast on this inflation target, which they needn't have done. And now it's proving a lot more tricky. So I think his, his whole outlook is a bit tougher politically than it was Uh, five six months ago but i think it's the broad you know broadly similar themes that we've been hearing from with exception of course of the um, some of the moves on pensions that he made
2: now mortgages how come they've hit this 15 year high average rates on on those two-year deals are now
0: they're well above six percent 6.6 percent or so and you are still hearing people sort of dismissing that and saying well we've had it a lot higher it was about this high following the mini budget but most people are saying well it was but it was a lot higher back in the 90s 80s 1970s but the really big difference this time is Firstly, the spike following the mini budget a few months ago really felt very temporary and markets did correct very quickly afterwards. Whereas now we've seen a gradual rise to this point and it's hard to see how it comes down rapidly. I think it's likely to come down at some point, but likely to be slowly. But particularly comparing back to, you know, if you like, a slightly longer arc of history on interest rates, a rate of 6% or so today. Is equivalent in unaffordability terms to a rate of 13%, 14 15% back in the 80s, purely because people are having to borrow so much more as a proportion of income just to get on the housing ladder.
2: On Hunt's plans with pensions, does this mean everyone with a private scheme will enjoy a nicer £1,000 extra each year? No,
0: unfortunately, I, I don't think it is as simple as that. And I think I suspect there may have been some Treasury analysts that were slightly queasy about having to um, shoehorn that sort of number into a a speech like this, if I'm honest. I mean, I think the problem is is that the, the announcement is looking at, again, and we've seen quite a bit of that actually in the last 10, 15 years, ways for government to try and steer, if you like, private investment into the places and the things they want it to go to. So in this case, it's about trying to get different funds to put a bit more of their money into non-listed companies. So that's sort of you know, private companies. I think probably Jeremy Hunt and other politicians are hoping it'll be startups, some of the quote-unquote more exciting sectors and industries. Um, and if all goes well, and those companies do well, um, it could lead to higher returns to savers, and that's where that sort of £1,000 number comes from. But there are problems as well. I mean, the most obvious caveat is we don't know how well those investments will do. We don't know how well these companies will perform. So there's obviously, a, as of all investments, there's an element of risk attached to this. But there's also just the more... the more general problem, which tends to, which has been a caveat, I think, to a lot of these measures in the past, where you're trying to tap into this pool of private investment, which is that in the end, the UK finance sector isn't that good at delivering in the interest of either the wider economy and long term patient investment that produces you know, public good and economic good for us all, or actually putting at the heart of what they're doing the economic beneficiary, which is the saver or the pension holder.
2: Could you break down the link between this uh, 7.3% increased wages figure that we've heard and inflation? The bottom line is that we've had a terms
0: of trade shock, food and energy have become more expensive, and we import a lot of food and energy. And that means in terms of real terms, what we can buy with our income as a country, we are poorer than we were you know, a couple of years ago. Now, there's not a lot we can do about that in the short term. We can do all sorts of things to try and improve our supply chains for energy and food, do more domestically, do things that are more resilient to shocks in the future, including investing in green technology. But in the near term, there's not a huge amount we can do. What the Bank of England can do is decide in what way do we become poorer. And the choice is essentially between higher inflation, which obviously eats away our real incomes, or lower economic activity, taking a bit of that inflation sting out, but in return, having lower wages, lower employment rates than would otherwise be the case. And the bank's just trying to balance that in the way we take that shock. Now, bringing that back to employers, the bank is worried that if employers have put up wages um, at a fast pace, then that will both change expectations in the future, which means that inflation may stick around for longer because people are expecting higher pay, which then means that companies may need to recoup some of that cost with higher prices and you kind of create this circle. But at the same time, the issue here is that wages are still on average are well below inflation.
2: Let's go to the ads coming up. Unemployment latest and how Labour stacks up against the Conservatives as we head into the general election cycle. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime?
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Telalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.
2: Alfie, what do you make of the latest um, unemployment figures? With this rise of three point eight to four percent, I think it's important
0: not to read too much into these sort of month-to-month changes because they can be volatile. It can sort of just be about noise. It's probably beginning to show us that unemployment is sort of is not going to fall much further. Could well be rising a little bit, perhaps. The drivers seem to be a few more people in short term unemployment so a few people are uh, you know recently coming out of employment into unemployment and that's driving the number up rather than people staying unemployed for longer. It looks like vacancies in the labour market are now well down. So it could be a bit of a turning point but at this point I think it's a bit hard to tell.
2: What do you make of uh, Hunt's flagship labour reform of expanding free childcare next year?
0: If you're a parent or you're thinking of becoming one and you've got children under the age of two because it's actually particularly a measure of expanding childcare for under two-year-olds I think it's a big deal. You know we're talking about now for most people having no entitlement to free childcare for babies between nine months and two years they will soon have Thirty hours a week, free of charge. That's a really big change. Uh, it will affect people's finances and it will affect people's ability to access work. So that is all, I think, very positive for that group, for the, for those parents. But I think there are, um, you know, two two caveats um, to that. One is that the childcare sector just isn't ready to deliver this pledge, um, and there is concerns that government is going to underfund it. So in terms of the the amount of funding they're giving per hour of free childcare, does it really match what it costs to give the right quality of childcare uh, for an hour's childcare at the same time? And there are concerns it won't be enough, in which case you'll see child providers get poorer. Um, and the other is that this this free childcare entitlement doesn't stretch to those out of work. And of course, that means it's very hard for people to make that jump into work if they haven't got uh, assurances um over when that free childcare will kick in.
2: And as we head into the general election cycle, what do we know about Labour's economic plans and policies and how they stack up compared to the Conservatives? That is the... A big question. And I think it's
0: hard to know because opposition parties that have been in opposition for a while and think they're finally coming into government do tend to follow the same course, which is they initially sort of commit to a large portion of what the previous government did just to play it safe, not to rock the boat too much. You know, Labour did it in 97, Cameron and Osborne did it in 2010, at least initially. So it's very hard to then tell what happens beyond that. You know, which direction does that government go in? I think one of the big differences this time, though, is firstly, the economic outlook is far less certain than it was certainly in in 1997. We don't know what's going to happen over the next six, nine months. We don't know what the government's going to commit to. It's got at least two budgets before an election, and that will affect, of course, what Labour inherits. But I think probably the broader point is that this government, or rather even the five or six conservative-led governments we've had over the last 12, 13 years, haven't actually put in place really big-ticket reforms in the same way as previous governments have. And therefore, there's not actually a huge amount for Labour to sort of pick up and run with as their identity. You know, you've got the you've got Brexit, obviously, which is huge, and it does feel like that's not going to be unpicked. But beyond that, there aren't sort of big tickets like there were under Tony Blair or Margaret Thatcher. So there's perhaps a bit more of a clean canvas for a
2: future government to take things in that direction. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's the leader. We're back on Wednesday at 4pm.
1: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces? Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next
0: project...